Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. When you see people, what do you see? And maybe a better question would be to start with is, do you really see people? I mean, do you really see the people in your family? Do you, do you hear them when they talk to you? Or do you kind of have your own mind made up about what is true for them that, you know, you already know, so you really don't need to listen to them because you already know, right, what the truth is. So why even bother to engage in a, in a real conversation or to find out what they feel because you already know and you're right. So... What do you see when you see people and do you even see people? When you look around into the faces of people, um, do you see people who are other than you? Other than you in terms of the pigment of their skin and, and does that make a difference? Do you, do you see people as Hispanic, as African American? Do you see people as white? Or do you just see people made in the image of God? Do you see people um, and feel fear because you're afraid of them and afraid they might find out what you really are and if they knew you, they would reject you? That is your assumption. When you see people, do you see people that are objects of lust um, and they are there for the gratification of your imagination or your desires? When you see people, are they tools that you use to, uh, to get what you want? When you see people, um, do you judge them? Do you uh, sum up what you think they are and evaluate their worth and label them and, and identify their flaws and faults so that they are, again, less than? I want you to look around the room. When you look in the face of people, what do you really see? And what does seeing what you see lead you to do? So Father, save us from religion. Save us from a life lived that is so ordinary here on earth that nobody sees Jesus through us. Nobody uh, feels the breath of heaven. Nobody catches the scent of your love. God, save us from a life that is self-centered and serving self-interest. And God, I ask in Jesus' name, in the short time we have on planet Earth, that you would wake us up, that you would stir our hearts to long for something more than most of us are currently pursuing in our lives. And God, that you would unleash us into the world to be your hands and feet, God, to love well, live Jesus, and believe big in a way, God, that, that helps people see your face. Father, in Jesus' name, save us. Amen. We have just uh, paused for a few weeks to uh, um, engage in a Stay in the Fight series as we kind of set the stage for the vision of the church as we move towards uh, God's call to have a generational impact on our community. Now, if that's going to happen, we can't do business as usual. If that's going to happen, uh, we can't just, you know, sit back and watch. We've got to get involved. We've got to go out as broken people 
um, and, and bump into other broken people. We are broken people who, who know Jesus. We've got to be out on the road uh, bumping into broken people who don't know Jesus. You're going to have to invite your friends. Um, if you're not going to have the courage or faith to invite your friends, um, then we're not going to make it. It's just that simple. If there's something we're not doing right that would keep you from inviting your friends, you're embarrassed, tell us. We'll work to change it, okay? Um, but otherwise, it's just going to be an issue of, of us having the faith to have eyes to see the faces of people and to see their need, to not be afraid of them or their rejection. Uh, I rejected a, a lot of people uh, before I finally accepted Jesus. And I'm so grateful uh, that they did not put their own you know, fragile egos uh, in the way, that they, they took my rejection and they kept loving me. And eventually, I saw Jesus and, and I, I couldn't turn away from his face. In, so, so our Stay in the Fight series is setting up um, uh, a place that we're going to revisit in January as we, as we work on uh, our next and our capital campaign for, for the future. Um, we are back into the book of Matthew. I want you to be reading the book of Matthew. I want to challenge you to open your Bible every day and read it. Um, again, you can kind of look at your life and sort of there's an anger index, a lonely index, um, you know, a lust index, a, a, a sorry for yourself index, and it's all kind of indexed on how much am I really hearing the voice of God amidst all the other voices. So let's, you know, journey into the book of Matthew in a way that is not Sunday only, but it, that it is in a way that we hear and then we live. And so we're jumping back into Matthew 7, 9 through 12. And we're going to head towards something that is called the golden rule. Uh, Jesus always messes with my head and then he messes with my heart uh, before he straightens up my life. And in this passage, um, Matthew 7, 12, one of the most famous passages, um, uh, so then do to uh, others what you'd have them do to yourself because this sums up all the law and the prophets. There's a couple of words there that really mess me up. And the first word is uh, so. Or therefore, because therefore links this verse to what's going on before it. And in my own reading of the gospel, for years and years and years, I've just kind of taken this as a standalone, and I haven't connected it to what has gone before it. But that's not the accurate way to read scripture. We, we must always read scripture in context, in light of what goes before, what goes after, and of course in light of, of the Jesus story and the Jesus life. So this section really begins with, um, with verse uh, 9. And there Jesus says, Which of you, if his son or daughter asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, uh, which is not an offensive statement, well, I guess it is offensive, but it's just true, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who are good enough? You got to check me out, guys. I could mess you up. <laughs> How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who are super religious? How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who have never messed up big time? What's the qualification? You have to ask. One of the things that I love about God is that he is an excuse remover extraordinaire. He will not give you any excuses for living a low life. 
If you want to live a low, broken life, if you want to live a life that is utterly broken and, and lost in addiction, lost in self, if you want to live a life that is drowning in self-pity, you can. But you will trip over the body of Christ. You will have to fight your way past the cross of Christ. And, and, and only then can you get beyond the reality that God has done all the work. And all we have to do is have a will to ask. Then we come to Matthew seven twelve. So, therefore, in light of what I just said, in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. We uh, like to summarize what we believe to be authentic uh, Jesus living, the Jesus story um, in, in these words, beyond religion. To love well, to live Jesus, not just to know about him. Again, Jesus never led people into a classroom to learn about him. He led them into life. And so he expected them to live everything he said. We have come to this strange place in the modern world where we really no longer expect to actually live what Jesus said. They're nice words. And we know them. But we don't actually expect to live them in the real world. And, and there's this huge gap. And so, so again, we label them nice and then they're safe and innocuous and they don't touch us and they don't change others. But that's not who we're called to be. We are called to love well, to love as well as God, to live Jesus because he becomes alive in us. We die, he lives, and then we are to believe big. Not to, to believe extraordinary things, you know, materially just for ourselves, but to, to believe big about everything in life, about the possibilities of life, about the dead ends that we come to, about the size of God, about truth beyond mystery. We're to believe big about what God can do with our lives. Pastor John uh, this morning and, and last night shared a, a quote from, uh, from Dr. Falwell, and he said, you have no right to be ordinary. Because God has called you to be extraordinary. A church has no right to be ordinary. A church has no right to turn inwards. A church has no right to live in such a way that it is, uh, that it is not a threat to hell. It has no right because it's been called to be the hope of the world. So guys, I want to share with you this morning... That real faith in the Father, I mean, I mean faith that is, that is alive, it's not religious knowledge, um, it is not uh, fronting, it is not a uh, religious garment that we put on so that we'll appear a certain way in front of other people, but real faith in the Father always translates into a practical and a generous love for the Father's people. It always does, it has to. And, and that's what Jesus, I believe, is talking about in, in Matthew seven twelve. And, and, and the reason the word real is there in front is because Jesus did something that was super offensive to the audience of his first hearers. Jesus was speaking um, again to the people gathered on a mountainside um, and in the background were the, the teachers of the law, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, not all of whom were intentional hypocrites by any means, but they were schooled in a culture that, that caused them to hear things in a certain way just like we are. We filter and, and their filter um, kept them often in the very presence of God from seeing the very face of God. And it's the same thing with us. God is here. Right now, Jesus said, I will be wherever two or more are gathered in my name. 
Jesus Christ is here. So, so Jesus said, in everything that you do, because life is uh, an expression of, 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 you know, to live we must do, in everything that you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up, and then I want you to notice in the scriptures, it's capital L and capital P, the law and the prophets. This uh, is the core of, of all the Old Testament. The law is the Pentateuch, first five uh, books of the Bible, the prophets are, are all the major prophets, the minor prophets, and, and there's even prophecy, of course, in Psalms. And what Jesus is saying is, is, guys, this is the only authentic expression of the Torah, the instruction. This is the only authentic expression of what it means to come to temple and sacrifice. This is the only authentic expression of what it means to be the father's son and the father's daughter, a faithful Israelite. To do to other people what you would have them do to you, that there's this transformation in your life uh, and this change of center, and, and, and when you get it, it's going to be a translated life that you live, and, and then you're going to express everything that's, that's in all of, of the Old Testament. So guys, here is, uh, here, you know, some of you say, well, I, I just don't know enough. You do, Matthew 7, 12, and you've just done all of Jesus' Bible. In fact, you have done Jesus' Bible better than the people who memorized it and studied it for, for decades. So don't give me any more of this baloney that, that you can't do it, that you don't know it. Jesus has given you the, the answer right here. So, so really the best question may not be, what are you and I living for? That is an important question, you know, to ask. What am I living for? Am I, am I living for, um, well, just, just fill, it, fill it out, you know. One, one man uh, took his boss on the golf course and had not been successful in sharing the story of Jesus with his boss in a way that his boss could hear it because his boss was so focused. And so he simply took him on the golf course and said, well, what, what is next for you? And the boss began to outline the next business plan that he was working on for next week. And he said, well, well what, what comes next after that? And then the boss began to outline, you know, the, the next project after that. And well, well what, what comes after that? And, and he began to talk about maybe some acquisitions. Well, well what comes after that? And and the guy was already kind of in his 60s, so, you know, then he began to talk about retirement. Well, well, then what comes after that? Well, then I'll do this and this and this, and, 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 and you know, I'll go here, and I'll have my home in Florida, and, uh, and, well, what comes after that? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. So what I'm living for is a, is a, a legitimate question that you and I need to think through uh, because you do have a short time on earth and there is a beginning, there is a middle and there will be an end and just as you've attended other people's funerals, one day um, people will be at yours and what will you have given them to say and where will you be um, in eternity? But I, I think an even bigger question might be for all of us is what am I living from? Am I living from my own pain? Am I living from my own fear? Am I living from my own brokenness? Am I living from my own anger? Am I living from my fear? Uh, what am I living from? Because Jesus says, I will change the from in your life. I will change the center in your life. And all you have to do is ask. 
I want you to know how good the Heavenly Father is, Jesus is saying. You and I, when we, uh, you know, unless we're monsters, when we have a child, we delight in them and we, we, we want to give to them what they need to grow for life. And so if we who are small and broken and twisted and, and, and selfish, if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, here's Jesus saying, I want you to know your Father's heart that all you have to do to have all of heaven is simply to ask. And asking is just, is just owning need and asking is just, um, is just offering you know, vulnerability. Asking is just believing in the goodness of the other. And so, so Jesus is saying, I'm offering you the opportunity to live from all the, the love and life and light and hope of heaven. You can have that here on earth. You don't have to live a, a low-down, broken life. You don't have to live a, a life that is full of insecurity. And you don't have to live a life that is full of self-hate or hate for others. You can live from all of the love of, of God himself, endless as it is. And if the endlessness of God is the real source of our living, how could we ever run out of love for, for broken people? The simple truth is we can't. And so, so real faith in the Father translates into a generous love for his people. And when you look around and see the face of other people, I want you to see God's people. I want you to see people who are made in his image. He delighted them. I don't know how many million, billion, trillion years. I don't, time is such a mystery and a concept that I, I don't even know how you, 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 know, you fathom it. But, but you know, let's just say God spent a, a million years thinking about you and designing you in eternity past before it ever all began. Okay. Now let's think about the person that you really hate or the person that really hates you. Well, God loves them just as passionately as he loves you. And, and, and real faith in the Father, that is a faith that is no longer a life of self-sufficiency and it's no longer a life of, of the smallness of me. Now I'm living a life that's tapped into all the resources and the love of heaven itself and the kingdom of God. And that, that life pours itself through me into a generous love, even for my enemies, Jesus says. So that really we only have one enemy, and that is, that is the, the leader of hell. It's not another human being. And this starts at home. Real faith always translates into real love at home. What's not real faith doesn't translate. What's not real faith is stored up in the head and, and used as a kind of a righteous club against people. What's not real faith um, even uses, uh, quote, religion as a weapon. I uh, served a, a church in a, a little town in Texas um, during, during college. And, um, and there was a lady there. She was tough. I mean, she was sweet, but she was tough. Um, she was the best shot in the church. Um, I'm serious. This was rural. She shot a deer out of her uh, um, bathtub window. I'm serious. This was rural. You know, <laughs> got to eat. And, um, and it was open sites a long way away, you know, and um, she was tough. And, and her father, as I began to get to know her, her father was a pastor. And, 
eventually she kind of sort of sort of spilled her heart and said, you don't know how tough it was to go to church um, and hear people talk about how great a man my dad was. Um, and I was not feeling real successful about having put the makeup on my eye to cover the, the bruise from where he hit me and where he beat me. In fact, the man didn't stop beating her until one day at 14, she said, you touch me again and you will not wake up. <laughs> and he believed her. Are you abusive with your faith? Okay, maybe you're not abusive, but does your faith translate into anything real at home? Does your faith translate into being a different husband uh, to your wife? Uh, does your faith translate into you being um, a, a, a kinder um, wife to, to your husband? Does your faith translate into being a better son or daughter? See, because if your faith doesn't translate, it's not real. And, and let me just please, in, in all humility, just kind of help you wake up to see that you're being deceived. Because all real faith translates into this generosity. I'm not talking about, um, you know, being used. I'm not talking about lacking boundaries. Um, Jesus was never used um, in any way that he didn't want to be. And, and so we're not talking about anything unhealthy. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, look at Jesus and you'll see, you know, you'll see your example and you go figure it out. But the heart of sin is to kind of put this religious cloak on, on this, you know, where we know stuff, but we're still serving self-interest. And, and the heart of sin is serving self-interest. That's what hell does. Hell is all about self. Hell will, you know, uh, you know, will... Well, that's what like even demon possession is about. It's about taking over somebody's free will and, and just, you know, grinding their life into the ground. That's kind of the ultimate picture. Now, Satan in our day and age works a lot more subtly and a lot more quietly. In fact, he does his best work without ever being recognized. It's kind of a stealth campaign. In fact, it's the ultimate stealth campaign. But to serve self-interest in God's name is probably one of the ugliest things there is. And we as the church of the living God are, are called to absolutely just throw self-interest out the window, to live from the generosity of God and li live from the resources of God and li live from the, the hope and the love and the life of God. And now we get to pour that out. We're still broken and being healed. So when we bump into other broken people, we don't bump into them as judges. We don't bump into them as, as more righteous. We bump into them as people who, who are just uh, sharing the plan of Jesus, the interest of Jesus, helping them know um, how much they're loved and valued by God. In Philippians 2.4, Paul tells the church in Philippi, he says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and that should be the standard. So that in a marriage, there should not be sexual selfishness. Um, so there should not be financial selfishness in a home. Um, there should not be one person who's the emotional center and everybody else kind of has to sort of, uh, you know, just cringe uh, around that person's anger or happiness or whatever else. In, in a home, it should be a place where, where the love of God is free, at least for, for faithful people. But then Paul says in Philippians 2.21, but that's simply not the reality of the way most people who self-identify as Jesus followers live. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's crazy. Actually, that's hell. 
And again, hell um, is happy to do its work uh, in blatant, destructive ways, but hell is very patient. It's like, if you're a fisherman, I sincerely doubt if you care which hook it takes to catch a fish. I mean, seriously, right? If you're going to put a piece of metal through the, 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 the jowls of a fish, you really don't care which hook you use. And if you're a good fisherman, you might have a hundred. It doesn't matter which one you use. All that matters is that you set the hook. Hell doesn't care how it reels you in, if, if it can get you in an open and broken addiction. I mean, if you can, if you can be a, you know, a, a, a broken down, uh, you know, homeless person in the woods, um, you know, th- th- that great. If that's, you know, your path, okay. But hell is just as happy for you to be successful and wealthy all your life and then die without Jesus and have eternal significant problems. It's the same end. Our identity, though, begins and ends in the love of the Father who's looked after all of our interests and met all of our needs. And I just want to remind you again today, as we uh, set a new course for the future, that that new course depends upon the authenticity, not the perfection, but the authenticity of our faith lived in a broken world. Because I really don't believe people expect you to be perfect. You know, they just want you to be real and just trying. And and our identity has to begin and end in the love of a father who's looked after all of our interests and promised to meet all of our needs. That's how we can live uh, in a broken world. Because we have a God who's cared for all of our needs. Imagine, um, let's, say, let's say you're going to go through uh, downtown Baltimore. Has anybody ever been, or Washington, D.C.? You know, anybody ever been asked for a buck or two, some change? Let's see your hands. All right, just the offering plate's coming by. That's not for change today. <laughs> so, so seriously, all the time, right? Some of y'all said, you, okay. Um, now, now, let's just say, um, actually, you, anyway, let's just say you're, you're going through and, um, and, and you've got $2 in your pocket, right? And there's just like a gauntlet on this particular day that you're walking through the city. There's just a gauntlet of people asking for some, some loose change of money. And you got $2 in your pocket. Well, you got a problem, right? I mean, if, you, if you're going to be generous. What if you had a Brinks armored truck following you, right? I mean, it's at a discreet dif- distance, but it's right there. And wherever you walk, right behind you, there's a, a, a Brinks armored truck, and it's filled to the brim with money. Oh, and at home, uh, you get a, a bunch more. In fact, the neighbors complain sometimes for all the trucks lined up in front of your house. <laughs> and even the banks are going, I'm sorry, but we really don't have room for all the... And, and so, so what kind of an attitude now are you going to have walking through the streets? Excuse me, sir, you got any spare change? Ha, <laughs> I got spare change. Buddy, here's a Starbucks for you. And it's with that kind of an endless connection to endless resources that you and I are to live in this broken world. Our interests have been met. That's why we're free um, to, to, to give to others. That's why we're free to love well without our own interests being met. That's why we're free to give our lives away because God gave his life away to us and his life is endless and infinite. And if it lives inside of us, then the infinite and endless lives in us. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet a few of your selected needs at a couple of times, guys, shush, I'm talking here, please, <laughs> please. And my God will meet, mm, okay, I meet all your needs according to his miserly, you know, um, no, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
I don't know how to dumb down the faith. Well, I mean, I do in my, my living, but I, I don't know. I don't really know how to read the scriptures and kind of dial it back safely. I mean, it says what it says. And I, I want to give you, um, as a, a great Greek scholar, I want to give you the meaning of the word all in Greek. You all already know where this is coming. Are you ready? In fact, fellow Greek scholars, would you all join me in, in helping everybody around know what the meaning of the word in Greek all is? The meaning of the word in Greek all is? All. You're geniuses. <laughs> and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know how. I don't know his delivery schedule. It does not matter. The word of God is either true or it is, it is an imaginary, and, you know, it's, it's a hoax. It, it, is, it is fiction. And from that kind of a faith, we get to live in the abundance of 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. Man, this is purposeful living in a broken world. This is, this is generosity defined. This is a life that is free to look after the interests of others as it sees the face of God. Of, of God's creation. So the heart of Jesus is serving the interests of others. That's how we serve the Father's heart. We serve the interests of others. Those for whom Jesus died, we begin to give our lives away. And we truly believe that in everything that we do, we do to them what, what we would have, um, we do to others what we'd have them uh, do for us. And, and this is the sum of all real faith. Now, the negative of that is, well, you know, well, don't do to, to, you know, to somebody else what you don't want them to do to you. But that's not what Jesus said. That's assumed, implied, understood. But this is so proactive. This is such a, uh, you know, a, a rocket launch in our lives. This is, this is uh, a, you know, a catalyst to the imagination. As you look at your family and the people in your path, you get to apply Matthew 7, 12 and use a holy imagination through the power of the Holy Spirit and God will set you free in endless ministry in, in the people around you that you see. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So guys, I want to give you our homework, not for a week, but for life, okay? This is, this is your homework for life. And uh, my job is to translate um, and, uh, and apply the word of God. Um, I have struggled for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with your homework, and I just am going to say this. Do to others <laughs> whatever you would have them do to you. If you want to have a real faith, if you want to, to engage in a life that is a great adventure, if you want to live a life that is way beyond uh, ordinary, if you want to live a life that's real, if you want your life on earth to intersect with eternity, if you want to see Jesus uh, and, and to meet him and to, to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, then your call here and now with the broken people in your life, uh, you may be married to them, you may have them as children, you, you know, but, but, but with the people around you now, your call is no longer to be about you. Your call is to get yourself up on the cross and die and now to let Jesus give you a new set of eyes to look around and to see people. And that's why we've got to go into other broken places so that we see people. And we don't see people different than us, we just see people. And we, we use the imagination, we listen to the Holy Spirit and we do for them whatever we would have them do for us.
living out the generous heart of God in a life-changing way. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Ask for the life you need from God. Some of you right now feel like you're, you're just underwater and you're suffocating and your heart is about to burst. Okay, I get that. There may be super real significant needs in your life. Just ask your heavenly father and he will give you more than it is you're longing for even in this moment. The whole life of heaven is open to everyone who asks for it. <laughs> you don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. The blood of Jesus paid the price. It is a free gift. You just have to dare to believe that it's possible. Then you've got to translate his generosity to you into revealing uh, his love in practical ways. How do we reveal the, the love of God in practical ways people can see um, and, and understand? So guys, I want you to think about your life uh, in context in this time. Got a few more years before you will stand before God in eternity. How will you have want to live in the end? How, what kind of a great life will you have wanted to live when you stand before the Father? Well, that's the great life that you and I have got to choose now. Thank you for joining us today at the church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.